All right, so here we are in chapter 7 of Zechariah, and some really interesting stuff in here. Uh, this is a really good chapter that uh, is going to be a real easy one to preach from. It's a, thankfully, this one is not quite as complicated as some of the other ones have been. But look at what it says in verse 1. It says, And it came to pass in the fourth year of King Darius that the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah in the fourth day of the ninth month, even in Chislu. So notice... This prophecy comes two years after the ones we saw in chapters 1 through 6. So it tells us the date, and in the first chapter, it was two years in. So now here we are two years later. So all those prophecies in chapters 1 through 6, it was kind of, well, in the book of Haggai, I remember Haggai and Zechariah, they were both prophets that God sent kind of let Israel know it's time for you to build the house of the Lord. It's time for you to get to work. You're out of captivity. Uh, the king you know, is behind you. Go get this done. And so Haggai, he, that he was kind of, if you read chapters 1-2 of Haggai, he's just kind of encouraging these people to just get to work, get it done. In Zechariah, he's showing them that hey, the Lord's in on this. The prophecy is being fulfilled. You're going to get this done. It's going to happen in the days of Zerubbabel. This isn't something that's going to be way out there in the future somewhere. Uh, like the dispensationalists are trying to act like it's still something out in the future. He's saying this is going to happen in your lifetime. And so now two years have passed and we see kind of a, a change in direction here, a kind of change of, in the subject going on because we are two years later. And notice it says, when they had sent unto the house of God, Sherezer and uh, Regemelech and their men to pray before the Lord and to speak unto the priests, which were in the house of the Lord of hosts, and to the prophet, saying, Should I weep in the fifth month, separating myself, as I have done these so many years? So what is this all about right here, when these guys, they go in to pray, and they're asking this question, okay? Because what's, what is this custom from, of weeping and fasting in the fifth month? Well, we can find out if you go to Jeremiah chapter 52, because this isn't something that we see... Uh, you know, written out in the Old Testament law. But in Jeremiah 52, in verse 12, it says, Now in the fifth month, in the tenth day of the month, which was the nineteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came Nebuzaradan, captain of the guard, which served the king of Babylon into Jerusalem, and burned the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem and all the houses of the great men burned he with fire, and the army of the Chaldeans that were with the captain of the guard break down all the walls of Jerusalem about, round about. Then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried away captive certain of the poor of the people and the residue of the people that remained in the city and those that fell away that fell to the king of Babylon and the rest of the multitude. So notice that it was in the fifth month when Jerusalem was originally destroyed. So clearly what was going on here, they obviously had adopted a custom after this took place, where they would remember the destruction of, of Jerusalem. And if you remember in the book of Psalms, and one of the Psalms, I don't remember which one, I don't have the notes in front of me on it, it when it talked about the captivity, it got talking about when they were taken captive in Babylon, and it talked about remembering Jerusalem. You know, let me not forget Jerusalem. I, I, I won't quote it exactly right, but it talked about just remembering that city. So they did, so they had a custom while they're in captivity of remembering Jerusalem and remembering how it was destroyed, remembering what was done, and they had a time of, of weeping and fasting. 
Now, I personally think that that was an appropriate thing for them to do, considering the fact that Jerusalem was destroyed because of their rebellion against God. And Jeremiah talks a lot about that. And we'll say more about that when we get to the end of this message about how they were warned. God, you know, God gave them opportunity after opportunity to repent, and they didn't repent. Finally, there came a point where God said, okay, it's too late now. Even if you do repent, you're still going to be destroyed. There's, there's no turning back. This is a done deal. You will go into captivity and you're going to be there for 70 years. So for 70 years, they had this custom every year in the fifth month where they would have a time of weeping and fasting, remembering Jerusalem. But now they're out of captivity. Now the house of the Lord is being built. Great things are happening in Jerusalem. So now they're going to the priest and they're asking, should we continue this custom that we had of weeping and fasting? And I think this was a very good question. Hey, why are we weeping and fasting? The city's back. We're building the temple. You know, the punishment is over. Let's go ahead and move forward now. We don't need to have this time of weeping and fasting anymore. I think, I think this is a very good and appropriate question. So they're trying to find out if this is something that they need to keep going. And, uh, and so look what it says in verse 4. Then came the word of the Lord of hosts unto me, saying, Speak unto all the people of the land and to the priests, saying, When ye fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month, even though seventy years, did ye at all fast unto me, even to me? And when ye did eat and when ye did drink, did not ye eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves? So he's asking him here, these customs that you had, when you did these things, why did you do them? Were you doing these for yourselves or were you doing these things for me? Because once again, I think this is an appropriate custom considering what had happened. But you know, why we do things are very important. It's not just that we do things, why we do things are very important. You know, when it comes, I think it's good. I think it's appropriate. I think it's fine to celebrate the birth of Christ. But why do we celebrate the birth of Christ? Is it because... You know, we just want to have fun and open presents and, you know, all the, you know, commercialized part of it. Or are we actually remembering Christ? You know, I enjoy celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But why do we enjoy Easter? Why do we enjoy celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Is it because we're excited about His resurrection? Or is it because we like the Easter ham? You know, why, why do we really like these things? Is it because we like to eat or like the Easter egg hunts? You know, there's some things that we do, and I'm not saying that's a part of the celebrating, but there are some things we can do that are appropriate on one hand, but if we're doing it for the wrong reason, God's not going to be pleased. Remember, God wants things done by the heart. Okay, it's not the circumcision of the flesh that God is impressed with, but the circumcision of the heart. That's what the New Testament tells us. So he, God's, he's, the prophet here, he's basically calling them out, asking them, why did you do this? Did this just become a fun thing for you? You say, well, why would this be a fun thing? Why would a time of weeping and fasting be an enjoyable thing? Well, why are camp meetings fun? Why is it that people enjoy at camp meetings, you know, getting up and just crying and sobbing at the old-fashioned altar? Why is it, you know, these women that scream like they're being murdered during the camp meetings, why do they enjoy that so much? Why do people travel for miles and take off work? to go to a meeting where they're going to just get real emotional and cry a lot and scream bloody murder. You know why? Because everybody likes a good emotional fest. Not everybody, but some people do. And, I don't know, maybe it turned into that. You know, maybe this turned into a thing 
where they would all go down, you know, they, you know, and they would all just get together and just have a time of weeping and wailing and squalling. You see, there's nothing fun about that. Um, have you ever heard of the wailing wall? Why do they call it the wailing wall? To this day, they still go there and they like to weep and pray at the wall. So, you know, while you and I, we might not, I, I don't enjoy crying, okay? That's not something I, I take pleasure in, okay? When it, when it happens, I try to avoid it as much as I can. But some people like it. And it's, a, and it's okay sometimes to cry. Sometimes we should be crying. Sometimes we should do these things, but we better do them for the right reason. So that's what he's asking them here. He's asking if their custom was for them or for the Lord. And look what he says in verse 7. Should ye not hear the words which the Lord hath cried by the former prophets when Jerusalem was inhabited and in prosperity and the cities are of round about her when men inhabited uh, the south and the plain? He's asking them basically here, hey, did you all learn any lessons from these last 70 years? He mentions the former prophets because that's a lot of what we read about in the book of Jeremiah. And Isaiah, these guys, they warned them. The prophets came and they warned them. And what did they do with Jeremiah, by the way? Jeremiah got thrown in a dungeon, didn't he? They threw him in the dungeon. He sank in the mire. Why? Because they didn't want to listen. They didn't want to hear the truth of what was about to come their way. They would rather be in their blissful ignorance. The problem wasn't thin in their day, so they didn't care. Even Hezekiah, who was a pretty good king, you know, whenever he found out you know, they were going to be in trouble. You know, judgment was coming. He was just glad it wasn't coming in his day. That was the kind of attitude he had. That's always aggravated me when I read that passage. But that's just how it was. So he's asking them if they've learned any lessons from those 70 years. And he's specifically wondering if they learn, you know, anything from the prophets. Okay? Because now another prophet has come along. Another prophet is telling them some things. Another prophet that is giving them a word from the Lord. And so before they're going to quit this practice of weeping and fasting in the fifth month, remembering the destruction of Jerusalem, God's wanting to make sure, hey, did you actually, do you actually remember the destruction of Jerusalem? Do you all remember the words of the former prophets? Let's see if you all are ready to move on. Okay. Do you all remember what the previous prophet said? Have you learned your lesson? Are y'all going to listen to me now? It's kind of like, don't we do this with our kids sometimes? When our kids sometimes come and ask, hey, mom and dad, you know, can I be done being grounded? You know, mom and dad, you know, can I leave my room or whatever? Whatever punishment they're in the middle of, whenever they come to you and ask, hey, can this end now? What do you usually do? Did you learn your lesson? Are you going to hit your brother anymore? You know, are you going to do that? You know, are you going to do this? We, we like to ask these things to see, hey, did you learn anything from that time in the corner? You know, did you, did you, did you learn anything from that spanking that you just got? Let's see if we're ready to move on here. That's exactly what's going on in this passage. And so in verse 8, it says, And the word of the Lord came unto Zechariah, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Execute true judgment and show mercy and compassion every man to his brother. Now make note of these things that he's mentioning here. These things sound real vague and they sound real general, but you're going to see these are things that the previous prophets called them out for. Right here, these things that he's mentioning are things that guys like Jeremiah rebuked them for. These were things that they were not doing. 
or things that they were doing wrong. And so he's reminding them, this is why you got in trouble. This is why you did 70 years of captivity. So he's saying, execute true judgment. Show mercy and compassion every man to his brother. And oppress not the widow, nor the fatherless, the stranger, nor the poor. And let none of you imagine evil against his brother in your heart. We see when it comes to government, when it comes to what we do as a people, as a city, as a congregation of people, we should not take advantage of other people. We should not, especially of those who are easy to take advantage of. And who are the usually the easier ones to take advantage of? A widow. She doesn't have a husband that can beat you up. You know, the fatherless. You know, there's not a man there in the home that can come and take care of business. And so what do they do? They try to take advantage of you. All right, Tommy just tried to get taken advantage of. He took his car to get oil changed and they were like trying to upsell him like crazy on stuff. He was talking about, thankfully he said no to all these things, but they were like basically wanting to change parts in his car that are working just fine. And I, you know, I told him, I was like, yeah, they're, they're doing that because you're a teenager. I said, when you go to get your, I should have warned him. I didn't even think about it, but I was like, when you go to get your oil change, just say no. Just no, no, no. Just, oh, I just want to get my oil change and just say no to all those things. They're trying to, trying to take advantage. And there's people out there that will do that. Take advantage of widows. That is just beyond wicked. And we see in the Old Testament when God was giving the law and He's giving laws and He's telling them not to oppress the fatherless and the widows. We see in there that God said, if they cry unto me, I will hear their cry and I will kill you, is what He said. Boy, you want to make God mad, just go take advantage of some people out there. Go take advantage of the fatherless. Go take advantage of the widow. And I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to be on God's bad side. And if you are going to take advantage of the fatherless and the widows, you better pray that they're not saved. And you better pray, if they are saved, that they forget to call on the Lord. Because it's very clear, God's going to deal with you if you do that. Remember that verse about offending little children? Remember what God said to it when Jesus said that? If you offend one of these little ones that believe in me, we shouldn't do it to anybody, even if they're lost. But boy, especially if they're a believer. Why? Because they have special status, so we don't want to take advantage of them? No, but the thing is, they do have special status with God. And if they cry out to God, you're in big trouble. That kind of thing makes God very angry. And that was one of the things that he had called them out for. And we'll see some scriptures on that in a little bit. We're going to go back to Jeremiah here in a little bit. But I want you to just kind of see, I want us to go through this chapter first, just to show the main uh, idea of what this chapter is all about, all about. So this is what God has always wanted. This is repeated over and over again. It was given in the original law that he gave them. They were supposed to have true, execute true judgment. They were supposed to be an example to the rest of the world. They were supposed to be a light to the rest of the world. And God wanted them to be merciful. He wanted them to have compassion. He wanted them to be fair. And He didn't, he didn't want them uh, you know, abusing the poor. He didn't want any of these things, or even the stranger. He wanted them helping their fellow man out. And in verse 11 it says, But they refused to hearken, and pulled away the shoulder, and stopped their ears that they should not hear. Okay, And I like how I mentioned that, how they pulled away the shoulder. Okay, and you all know what that is when you just kind of grab somebody by the arm sometime maybe to try to get their attention. What do they do? They jerk away. 
Okay, why, why would you grab them like that? You're just trying to get their attention. God was trying to get their attention for years and years through the prophets, and they just pulled away. They, they stopped their ears. They refused to listen to what's coming. And it's like the same thing with the world today. They don't want to hear that judgment is coming. You know, and everybody's talking about this Greta girl that, uh, everybody see the Greta girl that was like, you know, getting the whole world in a panic over the climate changing and everything. And you know, obviously that girl, you know, is a victim of manipulation, abuse, all that kind of stuff. But you know, at the same time, I sometimes wonder, is climate change actually happening? Now, I know it's not because of fossil fuels, but when we, if, if we believe the Bible and we do, we can see that some pretty horrible weather things are coming. And is it not, and you know, what I think it is, it's not that, you know, we're just, have too many carbon emissions. I think it's that judgment's coming. And doesn't the Bible say the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness? Against them that hold the truth and unrighteousness? God has revealed these things to us. But yet, and, 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 I, and go read Romans 1, he's talking about how the wrath of God is revealed, but man, they didn't want to retain God in their knowledge. So God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Could what we are seeing today just be science figuring out that what God said is going to come to pass, is going to come to pass, but what we're seeing, instead of people repenting, instead of people calling on the Lord, what are they doing? They're rejecting God and they're calling out to science to save the day. I mean, I don't know. I'm wondering maybe there is something to what they're saying. I just think their solution is all wrong. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. But you know, I do believe some bad things are coming and we're going to keep seeing bad things. I think it's just a sign of the time. It's a sign that God's judgment is coming. Remember what it also said, talked about men's hearts failing them for fear. Well, this poor girl's heart's about to fail her for fear. They got her scared to death. Well, you know what? Maybe these people's hearts should be failing for fear because of the planetary destruction that is coming. But I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not scared about it. I'm not scared at all. I know why it's coming. And you know what? I know that before God pours His wrath out in this world, I'm going to be out of here. So, you know, I don't know. I was, I've just been thinking about that a lot this week with everybody talking about that. You know, maybe they're right. Maybe the planet... You know, I hope they are right. I hope we do only have 10 years left. That means Jesus Christ is about to return. So I hope they're right. I hope their science is right. And you know what? Maybe it is right. And maybe what, it, but what we're seeing is them, God just revealing it to man, the judgment's coming. And what are we doing? We're seeing them going full Romans 1. That's, I don't know. So they're probably wrong. But I hope they're right. I really do, because that just means Jesus is about to come. But anyway, God got sidetracked right there. Get, get back on track. So notice in verse 11, it says, But they refused to hearken, pulled away their shoulders, stopped their ears. They should not hear. They hated their... And the thing is, too, this was over, God, uh, over the prophets rebuking them for mistreating others. And isn't this what, exactly what they hated their oppressors for? Okay, did they, were they not taken advantage of when they were in captivity? Were they not abused? Did they not suffer unjust harm? They had to deal with all the junk that they had put people through for years and years. 
they were no different than the rest of the world. Israel was no different than the rest of the world. So verse 12 says, Yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law and the words which the Lord of hosts hath sent in His Spirit by the former prophets. Therefore came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts. Another, another thing that just makes God mad is when He tells you the truth and you just reject it. That's what gets you turned over to a reprobate mind. Keep that in mind. Therefore it has come to pass that as He cried and they would not hear... So they cried, and I would not hear, saith the Lord of hosts. But I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations, whom they knew not. Thus the land was desolate after them, that no man passed through, nor returned, for they laid the, land, the pleasant land desolate. So we see here in this chapter, basically all, what it is, to summarize this chapter, is they want to know if they should continue this custom of fasting and weeping in the fifth month. A way of remembering the destruction of Jerusalem. Things are going good now. No reason we should keep doing this, right? Well, God's asking him here, have you learned your lesson? Have you learned your lesson? Are you ready to not oppress the poor and the widows and the fatherless? Are you ready now to listen to the prophets? When I send a prophet, are you going to pull away the shoulder? Are you going to stop your ears? Or next time, are you going to listen? That's what he's asking them here in this passage. And so turn up, let's go back to Jeremiah. I want to show you something though, because notice how at the end of this chapter, how he mentions that, um, therefore it should come to pass that as he cried and they would not hear, Basically, God cried to them, or the prophets cried to them. They wouldn't listen. So now, when they cried to God, He didn't listen to them. Now, I want to show you a very important concept uh, in this that goes along with the reprobate doctrine. Look what it says in Jeremiah. Uh, I need to turn there. Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse number 30. says, Reprobate silver shall men call, call them because the Lord hath rejected them. Okay? And right there is where we get a really good definition of reprobate. Okay? Why are they going to be called reprobate silver? Okay? Something that's reprobate, it's something that's worthless, it's of no value, it's something that's rejected. Okay? It's like if you brought it to someone, they're going to say, I don't even want it. Okay? It's no good. It is of no value. That's what God said was going to be the case with Israel. Now, when God said that with Israel, you need to understand this generation was reprobate in the sense that there was no turning back from the judgment that was coming. There was no, uh, there was no opportunity, there was no place of repentance that was going to be given for them. It was too late. Okay? It wasn't that every single person that was of Israel during this time was incapable of salvation, but this generation didn't even have a chance of deliverance from the captivity that was coming. They had pushed God too far. So sometimes, you know, someone could be reprobate in the sense of beyond the hope of salvation from their soul. But you could, uh, I believe a person could also be reprobate um, from the hope of salvation from a punishment that's coming their way. Do you all understand that? In other words, they will be rejected from 
hear at any plea. So there's some people, when they go to prison, when they're sentenced to prison, you know, they have the opportunity of parole, you could say. But there's some people, they get sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. In other words, they're saying about this person, you know, you did a bad thing, you've got a life sentence, and you're never going to get out of it. And sometimes God would pronounce a judgment on people, but there was the possibility of parole. There was the possibility of that destruction or that judgment being shortened or it being stopped. Okay, But sometimes, or in this case, what we're, seeing, what we're about to see here in Jeremiah, these people were reprobate or rejected from the possibility of being spared this judgment that was coming. Okay, So now when we call someone a reprobate today, we're usually saying that meaning they are rejected from the possibility of ever getting saved. Okay, and that uh, that is uh, is accurate, but that's not what reprobate always means in the Bible. It's sometimes reprobate concerning something else. But anyway, let's go on and keep reading, though, in chapter seven. Now that we've explained all that. So it says the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there his word and say, hear the word of the Lord. All ye of Judah, and enter in at these gates to worship the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Trust ye not in lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. For if ye truly amend your ways and your doings, if ye truly execute judgment between man and his neighbor, look at this, if ye oppress not the stranger, the fatherless and the widow and shed not innocent blood in this place, neither walk after other gods to your hurt. Then will I cause you to dwell in this place in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, ye trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will ye steal, murder, and commit adultery and swear falsely? Remember that a few weeks ago? He talked specifically about the stealing and swearing falsely. Those are some. Notice how all these things that are being mentioned here, these are things that have been mentioned in the book of Zechariah. These are the things that originally got them punished. And so here in Zechariah 7, he's reminding them of these things, saying, once again, did you learn your lesson? We're trying to see if we're ready to move on here. So it says, um, and come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations. Is this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. But go ye now into my place, which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first, and see what I did do it for the wickedness of my people Israel. And now, because you have done all these works, saith the Lord, and I spake unto you, rising up early and speaking, but ye heard not. And I called you, but ye answered not. Therefore will I do unto this house, which is called by my name, wherein ye trust, and unto the place which I gave to you and to your fathers, as I have done in Shiloh. And I will cast you out of my sight, as I have cast out all your brethren, even the whole seed of Ephraim. That's talking about the northern kingdom. You remember the northern kingdom? You remember Ephraim? They're already in captivity. I did it to them, and I'll do it to you. What was done to the northern kingdom was a huge warning for the southern kingdom. That should have been their opportunity right there to say, wow, 
You see what God just did to them? If He did it to them, He'll do it to us. That's what they should have done. But it says, uh, Now because you have done all these works, saith the Lord, and I spake unto you rising up early and speaking, but ye heard not, and I will call, I called you, but ye answered not, therefore I will do in this house. I already read that. Uh, and I will cast you out of my sight. Uh, verse 16, Therefore pray not thou for this people, neither lift up cry nor prayer for them, neither make intercession to me, for I will not hear thee. Now I just want to stop here for a second and point out that what blows my mind, and I, I remember Johnny Nixon, he was uh, doing a lesson one time debunking the reprobate doctrine. Ultimate failure. Alright? And he went to Jeremiah chapter 6 in verse 30, read that verse, but then went and showed in chapter 7 how God is calling them to amend their ways. But the thing is, what he fails to do is he fails to keep on reading. Because before he can even finish telling them to amend their ways, he tells them they're rejected, that they have no hope. What's going on here? He's showing, the things that he's saying there to amend their ways, he's reminding them of the words he had told them over and over and over again. He's also showing why they are being rejected. This is what you were told to do and you refused. If you just keep reading the passage and they never do, he says, this is what I told you to do and you didn't answer. You didn't listen. They always stop reading. You know, where they want it. You know, they read what they like and they reject the rest. And you have to read the rest. Because notice how he's telling them here. He's saying, don't even pray for these people. So he's telling Jeremiah, I've rejected them do not pray for them. That is why we don't pray for reprobates. We're not, we're not going to pray it for them. We're not going to go give the word of the Lord to them. We're not going to go to the gay pride parade and preach to these people. Why would we do that? Well, because that's what all the preachers tell us we're supposed to do. Well, it's not what God said to do. And you say, well, that's a terrible attitude. You're just going to let these people go to hell? I can't do anything about it now. They've been rejected by God, and so why would I pray for them? Just like Jeremiah was told, don't pray for this people, don't pray for this generation. They've been rejected by God. If they call, I'm not going to answer. So don't pray for them. Don't make intercession. He said, I will not hear thee. I won't listen to it. So you know, if these people, they want to go pray for the homos, they can pray for them all they want. God's not going to hear that prayer. God's not going to hear them. Look at verse 17. And so just understand when these people have their prayers that they do, praying for homos, when these people are posting their things, you know, pray for this, sodomite, whatever, it's just a feel-good session for themselves. It's a way that they can look all nice and spiritual, but it's not of God when they do that kind of thing. So he says, Seest thou not what they do in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? Look what they're doing. Do you not see what they're doing in the gay pride parade? Why were you praying for them? The children gather wood, and the fathers kindle the fire, and the women knead their dough to make cakes to the queen of heaven, and to pour out drink offerings unto other gods, that they may provoke me to anger. Do they provoke me to anger, saith the Lord? Do they not provoke themselves to the confusion of their own faces? They're doing these things. I mean, right in the face of God, they're doing offerings to other gods. And isn't that exactly what the sodomites do? They literally go against nature. 
They do contrary to what the Creator created them for. And it is rebellion, folks. It is rebellion against God. It's plain and simple. It says, do they provoke me to anger? Uh, verse 20, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, mine anger my fury shall be poured out upon this place, upon man, and upon beast, and upon the trees of the field, and upon the fruit of the ground, and it shall burn, and shall not be quenched. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Put your burnt offerings unto your sacrifices, and eat flesh. For I spake not unto your fathers, nor commanded them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. But this thing commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God. And ye shall be my people, and walk ye in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well unto you. But they hearkened not, nor inclined their ear, but walked in the counsels and in the imagination of their evil heart, and went backward and not forward. Since the day that your fathers came forth out of the land of Egypt, unto this day I have even sent unto you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. Doesn't this sound a lot like Zechariah? I mean, isn't it interesting how similar this is? Okay? And I'm showing you all this to show that Zechariah, the message there from God, is a frustrated attempt to find out, have you finally learned your lesson? This is the same message He sent them 70 years ago and they, they still rejected. God sends this massive punishment their way. And He wants to know, did you learn anything? So He says, Yet they hearken not unto Me, nor incline their ear, but harden their neck. They did worse than their fathers. Therefore thou shalt speak all these words unto them, but they will not hearken unto thee. Thou shalt also call unto them, but they will not answer thee. But thou shalt say to them, This is a nation that obeyeth not the voice of the Lord their God, nor receiveth correction. Truth is perished and is cut off from their mouth. Cut off thine hair, O Jerusalem, and cast it away. Take up a lamentation on high places. For the Lord hath rejected and forsaken the generation of His wrath. For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, saith the Lord, and have set their abominations in the house which is called by my name to pollute it. And they have built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I commanded them not, neither came it into my heart. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that it shall no more be called Tophet, nor the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter, for they shall bury in Tophet till there be no place. And the carcasses of this people shall be meat for the fowls of the heaven and for the beasts of the earth, and none shall fray them away. And by the way, that very area that is just mentioned there is the area where the battle of the great day of God Almighty is going to be fought. Just a side note right there. And it talks there in Revelation about the fowls of the air being filled with their flesh. So verse 34, Then will I cause to cease from the cities of Judah and from the streets of Jerusalem the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness and the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride for the land shall be desolate. So right there, we see a, a plea from the prophet, or not even really just a plea, we see, I mean, just a strong rebuke, a strong cursing to a generation that had rejected. And they had rejected to the point where God said, they can call, but I'm not going to hear them. And the truth is, there did come a point in here, and, and get this, in that generation, 
where they did call on the Lord. Okay, which psalm is that where they were by the river, captive by the rivers of Babylon? Talks, one, yeah, Psalms 137. Okay, I mean, this is something that was written. They're calling on the Lord during that time. But did God listen to their cry? No, He did not. Okay, And He said that He wouldn't because that generation was rejected from being spared the judgment of God. And notice how it was mentioned that they would be called reprobate silver. Now, why, why is that important? Why is that significant? Because the book of Romans says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And people like to bring that up when we say that a homo is not going to get saved. And, and I like to say a homo is not going to get saved rather than a homo can't get saved, even though you know it's basically a true statement. Just because of the fact... When you say they can't, then they're going to bring up, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's true, but that right there is why God gives them over to a reprobate mind. Because if they have a reprobate mind, then they will not call on the Lord. He's like that generation, I don't have this passage in front of me, I won't quote it exactly right, where it said... um, you know, they will call, but I will not answer, uh, you know, lest they should believe. Somebody quote that. Anybody got that one? Brother Josh isn't here. He always has them all memorized. <laughs> but you all, you all know the verse I'm talking about because he's like, you know, if they hear, they're going to believe, they're going to call, and I'll heal them. So God rejected them. He blinded their, he blinded, the, you know, talking about the Pharisees, and he blinded their eyes. Why? Because he did. There's sometimes, there's people he doesn't want them to call. And when it comes to, you know, the reprobates, you know, the sodomites, people like that. God doesn't want them to call, so He gives them over to a reprobate mind. Because yes, technically, if they were to call on the name of the Lord, they would be saved. If, if they would believe the gospel, they would be saved. So God gives them over to a reprobate mind, so they will not do that. So a homo will never call on the Lord. He will never believe the gospel. And that's why so many of them go into atheism. That's why, that's why they do that. That's where, you know, uh, the person with that reprobate mind is going to go. They have no other place to go. So that's, uh, it, it makes perfect sense when we see this. So, uh, Jeremiah chapter 6, we see how that generation it was reprobate. And it was because of, you know, they, they pushed God too far. He warned them too many times. And in their, they, in God's face, they just rejected. And so now here, we, let's fast forward 70 some years later. And they're asking, should, you know, can we, should we stop this practice of weeping and fasting and remembrance of the destruction of Jerusalem? And you know, the truth is, he didn't really give an answer in this chapter. He didn't say, no, you need to keep doing it because you haven't learned your lesson. He didn't say that. He didn't say, uh, or no, y'all have learned your lesson captivity is over, why would you keep mourning this? You know, because the truth is, God doesn't really care about the weeping. He doesn't really care about the fasting. You know, the Bible says, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. God didn't really care about the sacrifice and the thing they brought back then. What did He want from them? He wanted obedience. He wanted faith. 
They weren't impressing God with all these sacrifices. God wanted a people that would listen to Him. So in, in this passage here, I believe you know, God's answer, had they learned their lesson, would have been, yeah, you don't need to do that anymore. No. Hey, it's time to celebrate. You know, you're back in the land. The house of the Lord is being built. You don't need to weep. As long as you learned your lesson. That's what he's trying to say right here. So there was no specific yes or no answer because the question was whether or not they had learned their lesson. And so I believe there are some things that still anger God greatly and that is us not learning from clear lessons that God has given us. Now turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I'll, I'll close with this. Because there, there's a very important application that we can make for ourselves from this passage. And I believe too this, this can answer a, a, a big question that I, I know I had in my mind for years. Many people have asked me about this. But remember, look what it says in verse 1. It says, Moreover, brethren, I would not have you that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. We're all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And did all eat the same spiritual meat? Did all drink the same spiritual drink? For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. <clears throat> now these things were our examples. To the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters. As were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Remember Keith Gomez when he said, Show me the Bible where God ever killed somebody because of sexual sin? I'll never forget when he said that. I will, and he's like, I will show you where God killed people because of not tithing. And I, I remember this verse 23,000. Hey, 23,000. And you say, well, I don't think fornication is that big of a deal. God killed 23,000 people because of it. Oh, yeah, well, you know what? Look at all the fornication that's going on in the world today, but I don't see 23,000 people being killed from it today. Oh, so God needs to keep killing 23,000 people for you to learn your lesson? You mean you didn't learn from the mistakes of the previous generations? You know who you are just like? You're just like Israel. God shouldn't have to keep killing multitudes for us to learn lessons. But God did kill multitudes in the past. Why? Because the truth is, think about you say, well, that's just terrible. That's genocide. Why would God do that? Well, think about how many people are dying every day because of fornication. One, people die from all the STDs they're getting. But then two, look at how many murders take place as a result of fornication or a result of someone cheating with their boyfriend or girlfriend. You think there's been more than 23,000 people killed over the years because of fornication? You better believe there's been a lot more. And the truth is, it should never happen. Why? Because look what God did. Look what God did because of fornication. But you know what? We've got many people today, just like Israel, they're saying, I'm not going to learn the lesson from them. Well, just understand, you have made God very angry now. You have made God very angry by not learning from the previous generation. That is the very thing that God called Israel out for over and over again. These things were done 
for our, these things are written for our admonition. These are the, what was done to them in the wilderness. The, that, that's our fathers, according to the faith. We're supposed to learn from that. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the end of the world has come. But you know what people today are constantly asking? Christians today, they'll go, and I, I'm not picking on you if you ask this question. I've asked this question myself before, but I believe God gave me the answer. I preached a whole sermon on this years ago. People ask themselves the question, you know, why, you know, they'll read the stories in the Old Testament, all the people that God killed because of sins. They're like, why doesn't God do that now? Why doesn't God destroy all the abortion clinics? Why doesn't God rain fire and brimstone down on all the sodomites right now? Why doesn't God open up the ground for the false prophets like He did, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and swallow them up and close the ground back up? Why doesn't God do any of those things now? I'll tell you why. Because He already did those things. And we're supposed to learn from that. The lesson of the ground being opened up and Him swallowing Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, it's the, the lesson that we learn from that is, don't be a false prophet or the ground's going to open you up and swallow you up. That's not the lesson that we're supposed to get from that. You know what the lesson we're supposed to get from that is God hates false prophets. You better listen to those that are telling the truth and don't listen to false prophets. You say, why doesn't God rain down fire and brimstone on all the sodomites? Why doesn't God rain down fire and brimstone? You know why? Because He already did it on Sodom and Gomorrah. And so we're supposed to learn from that and understand that God hates that kind of filth. That God hates that kind of wickedness. You know, we, you know, Ananias and Sapphira. That was one of Keith Gomez's examples he gave of people dying for not tithing. Even though that was not about tithing. That was not about tithing. These people just lied to the Holy Ghost saying they sold the land for so much when they didn't. Kept back part of the money. God said, Peter told him, he said, hey, that money was yours to do with what you wanted. You didn't have to, you know, you could have kept back part of it, but you shouldn't have lied about it. And he's like, well, you know, I've seen a lot of people lie in the house of God. I've never seen anybody drop dead. Well, you don't need to see anybody drop dead to learn. Do you need to see somebody come forward in church and lie and drop dead for you to listen to God? Why won't you read Acts chapter 5 and learn from that? That's what God wants us to learn from. But we live in a faithless generation today that they want to see the ground open up. They want to see fire and brimstone fall. They want to see people drop dead in church. And then they'll learn their, their lesson. No, how about we actually learn from these stories that God gave? We believe these things are true. We know they're true. And therefore, we ought to just go off of that and learn our lesson. And you know what? Let's not be like the children of Israel and be a people that just never learn their lessons. You know, let's, let's actually be able to move on from things. You know, let's not have, you know, a camp meeting every year where we all have a big crying fest at the old-fashioned altar, we're all just confessing our sins and all that stuff. Remember, Mal- I think it was Malachi we were going through, and he's like, oh, he's like, I'm weary of that. You're coming, you're shedding tears at the altar, but you're not getting anything right. You know, who cares? Who cares if the Holy Spirit just takes over the service tonight and we all just start confessing all our sins and crying and hugging? Who cares if that happens if we leave here and we don't change? Who cares if we have to come back next year and we've got to do it all again? You know what God wants us to do? He wants us to actually learn our lesson. That's what He wants from His people. And that is 
What he was, that's what Zechariah chapter 7 is all about. Did you learn your lesson? If it's, it's high time we learn our lessons. I prefer to learn from other people's mistakes. But you know, whenever I have my own problems, whenever I, the chastening hand of God comes down on me, you know, I want to learn from that. Because I don't want to have it keep happening. Because the more, the more that is revealed to me, and the, then the more I reject, the more likely I am. Now, I'm not going to become a reprobate, but I could become reprobate in the sense of never being used by God again. I could become reprobate in the sense that the Lord will no longer allow me to ever be the pastor again and have His blessing on me. I could be rejected from that. I, can, I could reject God so much, I could be so disobedient to God where I can disqualify myself and I can come and I can pray and cry at the old-fashioned altar all I want and God won't hear me. I will be rejected from that. I don't want that to happen. So, let's learn our lessons. So, that was pray, Dear Lord, thank You so much for Your Word. Help us, Lord, to not be like Israel was. Help us to learn our lessons. Help us to um, just learn from the examples and the Bible. Help us not be a faithless people that just have to see things happen, that have to see multitudes die for us to learn. Help us to learn from the stories in Your Word. And I pray um, you'll, just, you'll help everyone with it. I pray this will be a motivation to everyone. In Your name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead for our final.